From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Movies with Mick LaSalle. I'm pop culture critic Peter Hartlob with San Francisco Chronicle movie critic Mick LaSalle. Oh, yeah. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> I'm going to leave that. I'm going to okay. leave that. I'm going to leave it in. Yeah. So you gave a wonderful speech last week. I want to compliment you about your movies with Mick LaSalle's sidekick, Leba Hertz. Well, Leba is retiring. And so I have had I've had the best editor you could possibly have for 17 years. And 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 during, you know, 17 very turbulent years in the newspaper business and to have somebody that you completely trust and and have you know, such confidence in their, their goodwill and also their journalistic judgment, too, uh, has just been a privilege. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, I'm sad to see her leaving. But, as you know, she's going to be still around on the podcast. And she will be on the podcast. Um, we're going we're gonna to figure out a title, but uh, <laughs> she'll be coming to the Chronicle. And as far as I'm concerned, as long as I'm producing this, I think you guys make a great pair. Oh, thanks, thanks. Uh, yeah, well, we've been, you know, we were doing podcasts before podcasts were cool. We were doing them in 2005. Yeah, well, we got a new one today. Uh, you both weigh in on Captain Marvel, Steven Spielberg's comments about whether Netflix production should be nominated for Academy Awards, Maplethorpe, and other new movies. Datebook Podcasts, thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Movies with Mick LaSalle. I'm Mick LaSalle, and I'm joined by my longtime editor, Leba Hertz. Hi, Leba. Hi, everybody. And we're going to be talking about the movies this week. But, Leba, you wanted to bring up a subject that was in the news and talk yeah, to me about I, it. I mean, and something that I've been like, you know, like saying for, for the last couple of years, but Steven Spielberg apparently wants the Academy to put some rules in about these streaming networks that are showing the movies maybe in a couple of theaters, maybe for like a week and then putting it on TV immediately because that's really their intent. Really, and, but yeah. they want to qualify for the Oscars. Right. And the, the most recent case was Roma, but there's been others as well where um, at least Roma made it into major theaters, but there's been cases where right. a lot of these movies that can qualify are only shown in New York and L.A. and only show for one week. Yeah, that's the rule. So he yeah. wants to, and I think justifiably so, say, hey, look, if you're going to make a movie, keep it in the theaters. You can release it later. But yeah. don't make it a TV thing. I'm going to throw it in the movies in hopes of, you know, also getting an Oscar as well as an Emmy. He, I don't think you can get an Emmy. Yes, for that. you can. You That's can. the whole. You thing. You can get an Emmy for Netflix. Yes, Netflix can be nominated for Roma. Could get an Emmy for uh, yeah. Netflix next year. Well, that would be ridiculous, and that that would be an argument that that would be to me the only argument in favor of uh, what Spielberg is talking mm. about. I, I I don't I don't agree. That's exactly what he's talking yeah, I don't, about. I'm not I'm not I'm not in favor of that. Uh, I mean I I agree. I don't agree with uh, Spielberg on this one, and and the reason why is because the the ways of of watching movies are changing, and I think it's a a, a good enough concession to tradition to have the one week rule for L.A. and New York, and beyond that, I really don't have a problem, especially for a movie. A movie like Roma, you know, and and movies like that, and movies that are are cat, like, you know, are the kind of movies that get nominated for Academy mm-hmm. Awards. They're movies that don't necessarily 
attract the young young dating audience that sometimes go to movies. These are movies that are designed for a little bit you know more discerning and therefore sometimes older viewers who would be most likely to be appreciative of having the thing turn up on Netflix and also to screening methods in the house although I know a lot of people probably watched <laughs> and they were crazy but I understand the temptation they watch Roma on their computers which would be nuts but a lot of people are streaming it onto very nice you know home theater situations so that the gap between the way we watch movies or at least potentially can watch movies at home and watching in the theater is is different so I think this is a little bit with all Due respect to Spielberg, who I think is great, I think it's a little bit like um, kind of an old guy thing in this case because you know it's it, it movie the way movies are, are getting shown is it being exhibited is changing. To me, it's sort of like your argument about Olivia Colman should have been supporting actress and Rachel Weisz should have been best actress, and to me that's a very similar situation. If you're making a movie for TV. Yeah. It's very nice to maybe show in the theaters, but don't be eligible for the Oscar. Be eligible for the Emmy, one or the other. The only, I tell you something, the, the Roma thing that I felt as strongly as I can feel about something that I don't feel strongly about at all because I don't care about, but, but I definitely felt an opinion about, was that I don't think that a movie should be nominated or should be allowed to win or maybe allowed to be nominated for both foreign film and best picture it should be one or the other uh because if and, and i know it was like um this year it was self-sorting i think a lot of people having voted for it for best picture i best well see i don't know i you said that the foreign film thing changed. I, I looked it up you were right i'm right you're right. still right You're okay, still good. right i looked it up all right well then it's just a fluke that it won foreign film but then didn't win unless the people who were voting for for best picture said hey it's probably going to win foreign film so I'm going to vote for something else. I don't know. I don't know how close it was. We will never know because they always they keep their yeah. balloting secret since I 1934. Think, I still think it goes back to you're dealing with the ranked voting rather than you know the majority voting. Um, yeah. And I think what happened, yeah, I, I predicted was going to happen was Roma was going to get a bunch of first place votes, but that was about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it follows what I you know all my early predictions were good. And then my second predictions were like horrible. People get, mm. you know, people got really mad at me because they all bet on, on my. They all yeah, bet on Glenn Close, myself yeah, they, included. Yeah, they bet on everything I said, and mm. and they they came out like mm. miserably. It wasn't even close. But anyway, and it wasn't even close, close. Um, but in in all my early predictions were right. I said that Roma, because it's the favorite, probably won't win because following the pattern because of the ranked voting thing. And I said that Olivia Coleman was going to win. And I had it all figured out. And then I talked myself out of it because I looked at the odds. I mean, that was the, I still don't understand that one at all because the odds were incredibly for Glenn Close, one. Two is that every award show, except for when she wasn't nominated, she was winning. Hmm. And and it was just you just sat there and it was like everybody just said it's going to be Glenn Close. I mean it was just, that was what everybody said. I mean the other one you could say Rami Malek maybe Christian Bale. Yeah. Mahersha um, yeah. Ali was a shoo in. Yeah, if he had lost, that would have been shocking. I said Regina King, but I said I could maybe see someone else, but yeah. doubtful because Vice and Stone were going to split the vote. No yeah, matter but Glenn how Close you is him. a sure thing. Yeah. It was weird, but anyway. But anyway, so yeah, I I just I think it's totally okay that we have new ways mm -hmm. of watching movies and new ways for them to show up 
on our screens because the difference between the way we used to watch movies and the way we watch movies now is just, it's, it's kind of tremendous. I mean, it used to be that what you had in your house was such a pale version of what you saw in the movies that, when, that you didn't even feel like you were really watching the movie. You were watching kind of a representation of the movie, which you were willing to settle for because it was the only thing you can get until maybe it showed up in a repertory house. If it was a favorite movie, you might watch it. But now... I watch movies on an eight-foot screen. I know that I'm the film critic, so I probably am a little bit more finicky about this kind of thing. But actually, I I see a lot of people going to people's houses, and they have pretty nice setups, Mm -hmm. too. So I I don't know. I got no problem My objection is not only that, but it's also, I think, a financial economics. I think if you only bring these these movies into the theater for a short period, these theater groups and and everything, the companies, I mean, they're going to lose out on the money because people are going to start watching it on TV and no one's going to go to their movies. So I think this actually, make up your mind. If you want to show in this, the movie theater, fine. Put a delay on when you put it on TV. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's all I'm saying. And I think that's what Spielberg's essentially saying. Put a delay? How put much a of delay. a delay? Delay like a couple of months or a month couple or months. two. A couple of months. You uh. know, because I, the thing is to give it time to stew in the theaters in which it's being nominated for yeah. a movie on the big screen. Well, I don't agree with that, but it would have benefited Roma and aesthetically at least because a lot of people yeah. would have had a better experience of that movie than what they had because they did wind up watching it on their computers and then said, "Why is the what is the big fuss? I didn't love that movie, but people actually hate that movie. And, when, and the people who hated it watched it on, on a 10-inch computer, so... They didn't really see the movie. Uh, so, but anyway, that brings us to this week. What, uh, what movies do you want to know about? Yeah, I mean, uh, Spielberg is known for his blockbusters, so maybe we talk about a blockbuster All here. right, so which one do you want to talk about? The one that's opening, uh, open Friday, March 8th. Is oh, that that's, the... uh, that must be the, the uh, Captain Marvel. Right, with Brie Larson. Brie Larson, yeah. Kind of dull um, and and a little bit of a disappointment. I was I was actually looking forward to this. You know, I didn't. You know, I don't usually. You know me. Yeah. I try to know as little mm-hmm. as possible. I thought Gemma is the name Gemma Gemma Chan. Gemma Chan. I thought Gemma Chan was Captain Marvel, <laughs> and I thought that was going to be really interesting. Uh, but in any case, whoever's Captain Marvel it, with with that script, you know, Gemma Chan or Brie Larson, it, it wasn't really going to work because the way they the 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 problem with Captain Marvel just as a character is that. She's kind of a non-entity in the beginning because she has no identity. She doesn't know anything about her past. So she's not like, so it's not, there's no feminist kick to the movie. It's just that she happens to be a woman, but she could just as easily be a man. The, the, the plot wouldn't change at all. Whereas, whereas like with Wonder Woman, there's, there's a kind of a feminist thing to it because she's an Amazon and then she goes out into the world that men have made and sees like this horrible world. And so she just has a kind of, um, innocent but visceral reaction mm. to this awfulness this movie you know she's just she's just captain marvel she's just this nice mm. person and then i think that that brie larson i think maybe she maybe because she won the academy award and, and the people who made the mm. movie had never directed an action film before and so brie larson would have a lot more power on the set or maybe it was because they they just didn't have the wit to guide mm. her or whatever but she plays the movie as though she's just Brie Larson, mm-hmm. you know, just normal. Like she, there's nothing weird about it. You know, like you know, like Wonder Woman or any of the the great superheroes. There's like a little bit something wrong with them, you know. Yeah, but exactly. like, I was gonna say that's <clears throat> the problem with that movie. Yeah, there's just a little something wrong with them. Yeah. I mean, or a little bit weird. There's something in, she. It, it, it's something that she. Yeah, she can't remember things, and she had traumatic experiences, but there was nothing else 
to say why she was wounded, who she was. There's no soul to her character. Yeah, I mean, like Superman is a little bit of a weirdo. He's kind of a stiff. Uh, Batman is, of so course, crazy. Batman is, is out of, is, is, you know, really needs to spend some time on the couch. Uh, <laughs> uh, most of these superheroes got, have something wrong with them. And, uh, you know, Iron Man, you know, he's, oh, he's, wow. yeah, he's, he's, one of these couch he's work. a, you know, he's a can of worms. And, but then you, you get to this woman and she's just a totally normal mm-hmm. young lady and that's it. And, you know, at one point she's flying through space She's actually flying through space. And it's like, oh, wow, she doesn't even need to breathe. That's interesting. That's very nice. Okay, great. And then she, back, then she comes back on Earth and there's a scene of her washing dishes. And she doesn't even, doesn't register in any way that she was flying through space in her performance. It's like, it, she does it so naturalistically that it's, it, it, that it becomes absurd, actually. And, I mean, she's not the only problem with the movie. And maybe she's like the third or fourth problem with that movie. And by the way, it's not horrible. No, no. it's not horrible. I, but you know, actually, I was also thinking is another small problem in that, in that one of the, um, I guess, protagonists in the movie is played by Annette Benning, And it doesn't matter how old Annette Benning is, she glows. This woman has something about her that glows. And I'm seeing there, Brett, Lar- Brie Larson does not glow. But, but. And that Benning has a better part. Yeah. And that Benning is, has is knows yeah, who she yeah. is in in every incarnation, yeah. whether she's the supreme mm-hmm. intelligence and therefore she's just dif- mm-hmm. has one point of view, or whether she's in her bodily incarnation. I mean, this sounds. I sound like I sound like a comic book geek talking about this. It's <laughs> her superhero that by you know just is real. but anyway, this is not a terrible movie. Samuel Jackson's fun. Actually, Except him and Brie Larson just, are okay together. But he's weird in that movie. Him, well, we, him yeah. and, and what's it? Greg Clark, Clark Gregg, the guy who plays Coulson. Yeah. They're, they're so weird because they play them when they're young. So they did some kind of CGI on them. And I was so creeped out by it. At one point, I actually said, oh, they got an actor and just put some makeup on to make him look a little like Samuel Jackson and talk like Samuel you know, Jackson. That's right. I didn't even, that didn't, and, I didn't even oh notice God, that. I just, so thought, I, thought he, I just thought he took some mega vitamins or something and just oh, happened man, to look it good. it was so creepy. It's kind of like what they did, I guess, with Matt Damon in that movie, with the Liberace movie, yes, Behind the Candelabra. Exactly. And, and also at the, end, made of, look and like at, at the end of Rogue One with the Carrie Fisher, and, and all you did was go, no. No. The well, in the CGI. Carrie Fisher, was that just totally CGI or was that Carrie Fisher coming I think that out? was CGI. But in Carrie Fisher's case, they probably needed just a little more CGI than <laughs> usual, I guess. I yeah. guess. Because you actually should have had the old footage of her that you could have just you know done something with. But no, they did something really they strange. They did something really weird. Well, that, it, we the expect thing, the that movie, from Star Wars. The, the movie weird. also starts out, actually, it, I almost couldn't see anything. It was very dark. I mean, visually. And a lot of action fight scenes, and you really have to establish plot before you can get into a the action. A little bit, yeah. And then I also, yeah. without giving anything away, knew exactly what the problem, who the problem person was going to be. And I, if I you didn't. Wanna, I didn't uh, know If that. you want to know, um, email Mick, and he'll email me, and I'll tell you. <laughs> or I could tell you directly, because I know the answer. Yeah, <laughs> Liba knew. But, but you, you like my my logic was very good. You have why. a but oh, that yeah, was, that, no, that logic made sense. But you 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 have a, a just you just have a very good um, ability to predict what how movies going to go. Yeah, well, you know, like, uh, I yeah. lost a friend because of Sixth Sense. If you've never seen Sixth Sense, wait for about a minute. But in like first like two scenes, I said, "Oh, Bruce Willis is dead." And my friend <laughs> at the end of the movie starts screaming at me. I go, 
it was so obvious. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't obvious to me. I just, I just thought he was. Yeah, I'd never. Yeah. But if you watch and the I movie, right, he doesn't book. really talk to anybody, right? Yeah, I mean, you could just say he's looking through them. And the other thing yeah. was, of course, wow. my first time I saw um, Citizen Kane. Oh, Rosebud is a sled. Yeah, but that that's not as big as the as the guy being dead because Rosebud being a sled is just sort of like a. I know, but I knew it. But you knew it. That's pretty good. All right. So what else did we have this week? Uh, you had some. Um, you had. Uh, was it Climax? Was that this week? Oh, no, that was last week. That was last week. Yeah. We can do last week. You want to do last week? I don't know. I, I don't remember what we saw. Oh, Maplethorpe. Oh, Maplethorpe. That's yeah, Maple. Thing. Okay, we'll go. Yeah, Maplethorpe. we'll talk about it next week later. Uh, Maplethorpe is a movie with uh, Matt Smith uh, playing uh, Robert Maplethorpe, the famous photographer of the, basically of the gay scene in New York, pre-AIDS New York. And so as a result, he's forever linked, actually, to AIDS in the public mind because it's kind of like a... And that's, I believe that's how he died. Also. And that's how he died, yeah. And um, uh, it's a good movie. It's, you know, all... You can't expect too much from these these biopics about artists because they always are trying to explain the unexplainable. It's not like trying to... Like, when you're trying to explain why FDR went into World War II... You can sort of explain it, right? I mean, well, that's an easy one. They, they, they uh, bombed Pearl Harbor. But when you talk about like political things, usually it's pretty obvious. Or, you know, historical figures. With artists, the goal is to try to like what made this this person tick, and it's always simplified. Like you know, Johnny Cash and and Ray Charles both became great artists, great uh, musicians because their brother died. Yeah, but the Dewey Cox uh, bi- biopic was great. Yeah, and Dewey Cox <laughs> even became yeah because the wrong the wrong son died. <laughs> but you know, I it's 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 not really true. So they try to, you know, make it you know, they try to come up with reasons for Maplethorpe's art or they they pair him off with a woman playing Patty Smith. And the woman they got to play Patty Smith it's just so pretty <laughs> and and also so completely normal looking and then she acts so normal looking and so that the a guy I, I mean you just you look at that and you say well a guy who would go out with that woman is different than the guy who would go out with Patty Smith it's just a different guy and it's a different just a whole different thing i mean they when you look at Patty Smith and Robert Maplethorpe i mean they you know when they were young they look like real counterculture people, you know, and these two not as much. Although, although Matt Smith does to some degree, I think it's a good movie, not a great movie. But I think if you're interested in Maplethorpe, you might enjoy it. But you, you know, it's not, it's it's not, uh, it's 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 not going to be the whole story, but it'll be part of the story and introduce you to his work, give you an idea. I was just thinking about you know what you were just saying about you know artists and my I guess that's a question I don't have an answer is what did you think of all that jazz and the portrayal of Bob Fosse? Well, I thought it was great until I saw an interview with Bob Fosse from around the same time, and it explained to me why Bob Fosse got away with everything that he got away with because when you're watching the movie, he just seems like a misogynist, he seems like a womanizer, he seems like a bad guy, uh, as played by Roy Scheider. Now, in 1979, people didn't react to him in this way, I know. But when I watched the movie, I was saying, this guy is just a rotten guy. I mean, why is anybody dealing with him? When you watched the real guy, the real guy was like, he was not one of these like dominant, um, brutalizing men. He was one of these lost guys, one of these kind of adorably messed up guys 
who these women, that's why he stayed friends with every woman he got involved with. No way these women would stay friends with Roy Scheider because he was mean to them. But but you can see what that Fosse wasn't like that. The Fosse was something different. He was just like a basket case. But anyway, so I didn't think it was, no, I didn't think it was that good because it didn't make sense to me when I was watching it. Now, I believe if I'd seen the movie in 1979, which I did not, the first time I saw the movie was like 2014. Oh, okay. I saw. I didn't see '79. I saw a few years after that. Yeah, and it made sense, right? It was like totally great. No, I, I, I never was a fan of the movie. I mean, I yeah. didn't think it was terrible. I was not like blown away like a lot of people. He, he's, he's just not that good a guy. But you could see that Fosse was kind of a, a nice yeah. guy, you know, and that's why that's mm. why they liked him. But they never really explain, you know. They, they do the George Gershwin story, and they try to, you know, with, incredibly crudely, they make it the George Gershwin. Well, I love that one. It's so, it's so wrong. It's so everything. <laughs> Wrong. And the Cole Porter one, Night and Day with Cary Grant, is so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely... Yeah, just, they just don't And, and how he writes, when he writes this song, you know, like, you just hear the beat, beat, beat of the drums, just, and you hear the drum beat, and it gets the idea, beat, beat, beat of the drum. <laughs> <laughs> they, well, you know what they did with... But I love those movies. They're so you, wrong, but they were, at the time that they were made, they, they're just so entertaining. Well, I, yeah, I've, I've seen Rhapsody in Blue probably about five times. Mm-hmm. I, I like the movie, but they basically had this idea mm-hmm. that the reason why that George Gershwin was driven to succeed because of some weird intuition that he wasn't going to live long. Um, the, the opposite is true. George Gershwin died when he was 38, and he composed at a rate that, like a guy who thought he was going to live to be 80 because he wasn't cranking it out. He wasn't, I mean, Mozart was cranking it out like he was going to live to be 35, even though I, I don't think he thought that. But, but that was old in those days, too. No, it wasn't old. No, it wasn't old. But uh, no, it was young then. It's, once you got past infant mortality and all that stuff, people lived, you know, fairly normal life. But um, so the plague hit. Um, yeah, not, and there's no plague in <laughs> 1791. It? Actually, you know, he did die of a contagious disease, they believe, because he, he did go somewhere. <laughs> And then everybody got sick. So it was like he had Legionnaire's disease or something. Mm-hmm. It was like everybody got sick Plague. and went to this thing. And you know, you know, yeah. But anyway, uh, I forgot what we were talking about. I have no idea <laughs> what we were talking about. It was about Mozart. Oh yeah, problem. Gershwin. Yeah, Gershwin went through life. You know, he was like a playboy mm-hmm. and he was enjoying himself. And then he would dash mm-hmm. off songs and, you know, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He, you know, he wasn't. He wasn't writing mm-hmm. at a rate uh, like, oh no, I have to, I have to, I have to complete my great life's work. At all, or else because we'd have mm-hmm. more stuff. Another one that's like really, really wrong and off, but it's absolutely wonderful to watch is The Great Waltz about Johann Strauss. Oh, yeah, who's I, in that one? Is I that... forgot who it is, but it, it's, it, they're, they're composing songs. They're in the carriage ride, and they hear the birds tweeting, and he gets his inspiration from one of his waltzes by hearing oh, uh, the bird tweeting. <laughs> I tell you, the best thing that's like that, and I don't know if it was, there's a, there's a movie by Abel Gantz, French movie about Beethoven. It's called Beethoven. And Beethoven goes deaf. And he's panicking that he's never going to compose again because he can't hear anything. And uh, he goes outside. He goes. For, Beethoven used to go for his nature walk every day, and um, and uh, he sees the birds, and then he kind of imagines the birds, and then he looks at the running brook, and then all of a sudden you hear on the soundtrack. You know, Beethoven. There was also a Disney version of this, and um, 
the guy, you know, he's poor. He's a poor composer with some friend in the apartment. And the door starts pounding. And the guy goes, I want my rent. And the next thing he's pounding on the door, I want my rent. And the next thing you go, I want my rent. <laughs> I want my rent. Oh, wow. Yeah. So these movies generally, basically, what's the word we're looking for? Suck. All right. So what's but fun. The, yeah. What's the, yeah. What's the, that's the critical term we're looking for here. Okay. What else we got, Lee? Uh, we've got a great. Little something or giant little something or something giant little giant giant little ones oh giant little ones yeah this is a this is a movie that's okay it's a teen comedy oh no teen rom no not teen romance not teen teen drama actually where it's these guys are good friends and then they get drunk and they fall into bed one night and then one of them tries to uh, what's the phrase we use perform a sex act on the other okay. And then the other guy goes, hey, what are you doing? And the guy runs out. And it's interesting in the power dynamic because the guy who does the makes the sexual move is actually the, the macho guy, the tough guy, uh, the, the, the guy in the relationship who's like the dominant one. And I guess because he's embarrassed or whatever, he wants to go on the attack. He doesn't want this other guy in his in, you know, be under the, the power of this guy. He tells everybody that it was the reverse that he was in bed with this guy and next thing he wakes up and something's going on. And uh, that's what the movie's about. But the movie kind of gets bogged down. And I mean, it's a movie about a guy everybody thinks is gay. And and they're not mad at him for being gay, but they're mad at him for like not being honest with them about like what he was about. And meanwhile, he's not really gay. And, and, I, and, and it's an interesting situation He's being kind of terrorized by the other guy. He's ostracized from his group. His girlfriend doesn't want anything to do with him. But then the movie gets worried that you're going to think that that it's anti-gay when it's not. Clearly, it's not. If anybody's paying attention, the movie's not anti-gay. The movie's about how bad it is when somebody feels that they can't be true to themselves, and so therefore they have to. You know, they they they're distorted by their own fear. That's what the movie's about. But the movie, I guess gets you know gets terrified that it's going to be politically incorrect and so they give him a gay father they imply that maybe he's gay anyway but they're not sure and he seems to have a girlfriend later on in the movie and then they also give him a lesbian friend who's wearing a strap on and he has to feel that i mean it's just it's like so it gets so confused with extra stuff just to make it like seem more gay friendly than it quite clearly is but it's like some it's just too self-consciously um politically correct that said the characters are good the gay father's played by kyle mclaughlin who's pretty good maria bello plays the mother and she's always great even though the part is nothing and it's kind of pitiful that that this is what maria bello gets because she's so good uh, and she looks great. I mean, there's no reason why well, she can't be. You'd be glad to know she's career. got. A, she's become a regular on NCIS. So just. You know. Oh, this is good to know. <laughs> you see, no, Lee, I appreciate that because yeah. I do not. When people mm-hmm. go from from the movies to TV, I think that they died. Mm-hmm. Like like somebody will do a series for five mm-hmm. years, and I'll just say, wow, their career is really terrible. Nobody tells me. Well, that's know. like Vera Farmiga. She did. The, she was actually a successful show, which was with the Bates Motel. Was the early years of um, Bates. You know. And, and she played, and the she played the mother as a young woman. And how was she? Not nice. Supposedly, I've watched it. She was very nuanced, actually. I mean, she wasn't nice, but at times she was. It was, it was a very well done character. It was very oh, yeah. complex. All right. So, uh, and then what else do we got here? We've got the last one. Who will write our history? It is about the Warsaw Ghetto, and it's a, it's about specifically an archive that was made by the. 
people, the, the Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto, who were worried that they would always be dominated by, you know, they, they didn't know that World War II was going to end in 1945, and they wanted the history to be written. So they wrote all this stuff, and they buried it underground, and they had to find it in the rubble. The, the people who actually knew about the archive. There weren't too many. That's because almost all of Warsaw was destroyed during World oh, War II. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, almost all of it. And there were some yeah. survivors, including a synagogue, by the way. But as a documentary, it's not that good. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, it's okay. I mean, it, it gets by on on the fact that it's about such a worthy subject, obviously. Uh, but as a documentary, it's full of these these historical recreations that are, don't work as drama, slow it down. I just saw a movie, a documentary, also kind of a Nazi documentary or anti-Nazi documentary about Jews hiding out in Germany, kind of in plain sight, called The Invisibles. And it's absolutely great. And it uses historical reenactments like more than any other documentary I've seen. It's really like a hybrid. It's absolutely great. So it's a, it's, it can be done. And in my, do, in my review, I more or less say, having seen this, that it can't be done. And then like two days later, I see this other movie and say, oh, that's how you do it. It can be done. Mm-hmm. So ignore my review. <laughs> do as I say. Don't do as yes. I do. Um, I, just, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just want to also bring up a, something else that happened um, right just before the Oscars. And it was the um, passing of Stanley Donan. Oh, yeah. One of the great directors. And I don't know how you felt about him, but to me, he actually directed my all-time favorite movie, which is why I'm bringing it up. Charade. Charade with Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. And of course... Arguably my favorite movie musical as well. Which is what? That's uh, Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, he seemed like a very genial fellow. Uh, I like Charade. Uh, in fact, I think it's a really good movie. I'm not crazy about I just don't like those, the kind of movies he made. They're like, I don't even like. You, did I, you, you never saw Two for the Road? No. Oh, okay. But I don't, I don't even like Singing in the Rain. I, 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 I liked it when I was a kid. I'd watch it with my father. He loved musicals. I can't stand it. Yeah, I, can't I just. Stand it. But I, I don't, I don't. I, I watched, tried to watch Singing in the Rain about five years ago, and I, I just broke down after forty-five minutes. <laughs> I couldn't take it. It was just so. <laughs> I, I thought it was just, just, <laughs> just unbearable. Um, and then that's it. I just want to say we had uh, two movies last week that were fairly big. Greta with Is- Isabeau Huppert, kind of a silly horror movie. It's okay. And then Climax, which is not very silly. And it's about a bunch of of young French dancers who take LSD without knowing it, poisoned punch bowl, and then they are reduced to a bestial state. There's one shot that goes on for 40 minutes. <laughs> it's it's a movie of just people cracking up. I wouldn't say that it's a, a something I'd recommend, but it's the kind of movie that because it's so completely singular and weird... Um, after you've seen it, you might be kind of glad that you saw it. Although nobody, when they see the end at the end of this movie, says, "Oh no, I wish it was another ten minutes." It's 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 really it becomes kind of a trial, uh, but still it's kind of interesting. And so you know you might find it. if you're particularly adventurous or if you're in a weird mood or maybe if you just took LSD yourself and want to have there's no such thing as a happy trip or whatever on this thing because that they are going crazy and that's it anything you want to add no i think that's about that for this week okay well that's about it for this week so uh come back next week and join us or the week after whenever we do this and uh for the uh san francisco chronicle i'm michael sal and i'm Lieba hertz
You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Mick LaSalle and Leba Hertz. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is Mozart Symphony 40 in G minor by Blue Dot Sessions. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com. Com slash podcasts with an S.